Hi everyone, welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ishwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com slash desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We'd also like to thank our newest patron, Rina Lobo. Thank you for any contribution you make in helping run this podcast. When we cover these cases for you all, the ones that hit the hardest are the ones where we can clearly see there was a deep-rooted, disturbing and long-lasting injustice. Cases where those responsible for protecting us, our parents, our schools, our police, they are the ones who are the perpetrators of this injustice. It makes all of our blood boil to hear of lives destroyed and families torn apart and futures snatched for trivial reasons. If you feel this way too, this case is your worst nightmare come to life. A nightmare one 14-year-old girl had to live through 32 years ago. This is a case that shook India to its core. This is the story of Ruchika Girhotra. whenever you have these really heavy intros to your episodes <laughs> they always yeah. psych me up for what's about to come um is this going to be another one of those stories where you start with a really happy family and you take us to a terrible end or how do we begin the story so we're not beginning there today Ooh, different today we're beginning right at the end with this case right at the point where it's already far too late The country had failed this 14-year-old girl. The media had failed her. The community she grew up in, the school she studied in, everyone had failed her. And now there was no taking it back. Nothing and nobody could fix the damage. This is one of those few cases that even after more than 50 episodes of crime and murder and gore brought me to tears. Before we dive in though, we'd like to remind all of you Desi listeners that the Desi Crime Podcast family has grown and it wouldn't have happened without you all. We've partnered with Lost Debate, which is a media startup based out of New York. And not only have they invested in us, they launched the Lost Debate, podcast and YouTube show for political nerds who want more nuance from the news and a good faith look at the issues. If you're interested in all kinds of news with a nuanced lens, go to lost debate for an unbiased understanding of american politics wherever you get your podcasts with that ishwarya tell us who is 14 year old ruchika girotra you say this case is so absolutely unbelievable but i'm really surprised that i have never heard of it how had everyone failed her and why was it too late to fix the damage done this is a case of an older generation a generation bygone aryan and it was too late to fix the damage because 14 year old ruchika was no more 
she was dead. From the outside, it seemed like Ruchika had taken her own life. She had committed suicide. After all, the autopsy and viscera report conducted by Dr. Subhash Sharma at the Chandigarh General Hospital on the 30th of December 1993, a day after Ruchika was found dead, revealed that a compound group of insecticide was detected in her stomach, liver, spleen, kidney, small intestine and blood. The bottle of insecticide was found next to her body which lay on her bed. There was no sign of forced entry into the house, no struggle marks on her body, no fingerprints other than her own, no shoe prints, nothing. And Ruchika had been low, depressed and crying all throughout her classes in school and at home for a while now. In fact, Ruchika hadn't even gone to school for months. She had been a shell of herself for the last three years. What had changed in those three years, I bet you're wondering. What could make a 14-year-old girl this sad for this long to the point where she possibly took her own life? For that, let's backtrack three years. Back to the year 1990. Living in the bustling and beautiful city of Chandigarh, Ruchika was a grade 10 student at the Sacred Heart School for Girls. She had grown up in that school, studying there since she was in the first grade. All her friends were at that school, including her childhood best friend, Aradhana Prakash. She had walked those corridors, day in and day out, and school felt like second home. Ruchika's family was a small one. After her mother's death just four years ago, when Ruchika was 10, she... Her father, Essie Girhotra, and her younger brother, 10-year-old Ashu Girhotra, were the only ones in that house. But they were each other's lifeline. The tragedy of Ruchika's mother's death had brought them all closer. They all knew they needed to be each other's rock and system of support. And the family had no shortage of support in this regard. Ruchika's best friend, Aradhana's mother, had slowly, over the years, taken on the role of a sort of mother figure in Ruchika's life. Despite this obviously significant death in their family, the Girhotras were trying their best to live a normal and happy life. To cope with this loss, Ruchika had found herself an outlet. Tennis. And by every standard, she was an incredibly talented young woman. The sport had become her dream and she had every hope of making it big as a sportswoman. It wasn't just Ruchika alone though. She and Aradhana had both made a name for themselves as trainees at the Haryana Lawn Tennis Association. In fact, Ruchika was so talented that on the 11th of August 1990, the head of the Haryana Lawn Tennis Association, Shambhu Pratab Singh Rathore, who was also the Director General of the Haryana Police, visited Ruchika's house to meet with her father. Perhaps he had seen her play, the family thought, and was left impressed by the girl's talent. Because when Rathor showed up at Ruchika's house that day, he couldn't stop praising her. But he wasn't there just for the praise. He was there to let Ruchika's father know that he had decided to arrange for Ruchika to undergo special tennis training under him. He asked for Ruchika to meet him the very next day to discuss the details of the training and begin as soon as possible. Rathore, born in 1941, was 49 years old at the time and a 1966 batch IPS officer of the Haryana cadre. 
As the founding president of the Haryana Lawn Tennis Association, Rathore's office was the garage of his house at 469 Sector 6 Panchkula in Chandigarh. His house had a clay tennis court behind him, which by the way was built by encroaching on government land where Ruchika, Aradhana and a group of other young girls used to play tennis in the evenings. It was at that office that Rathore had wanted to meet Ruchika. And Ruchika knew who Rathore was. In fact, Rathore's own daughter Priyanjali was Ruchika's classmate. So she thought she knew the man she was going to meet. She thought she was safe. And beyond the fact that she shared an acquaintance with Rathore in the form of him being a father of her classmate, right. he is the president of a lawn tennis organization in that region. Right. More importantly, he's the head of the police in that region. He is, and he was an IPS officer, obviously well respected, well to do. They used to all play tennis in his backyard, so clearly there was nothing right. to be worried so about. Right. So acquaintance or not, right. one would assume that man, man yes. of authority to be a good person. Absolutely. The next day, on the 12th of August, Ruchika and Aradhana went to play tennis at the court right outside Rathore's house like they did almost every day. And after that, they walked to the office of DGP Rathore located inside the compounds of the tennis association. Rathore welcomed the two young girls into his garage turned office, but Rathore only asked Ruchika to sit. He asked Aradhana to go out of the office and call the tennis coach Mr Thomas and so Aradhana left leaving Rathore and Ruchika all alone. Aradhana found Mr Thomas who said he'll be in the office shortly and so Aradhana began to make her way back to the office and as she opened the door and walked in she couldn't believe what she was seeing in front of her eyes. She saw Rathore grabbing both of Ruchika's hands. his body pressed against hers ruchika was struggling to get him off of her this was a full grown man 50 years of age using all of his strength on just a 14 year old girl jesus christ the moment rathor saw aradhana he let go of ruchika and fell into his chair he shouted at aradhana to leave the room and bring back coach thomas with her but aradhana refused She knew she was also just a kid but she wasn't leaving her best friend alone with this man for even a second. Rathore again shouted at Aradhana telling her to leave the office but this time Rushika ran out of the office and Aradhana followed her. They ran till they were far enough and knew for sure that Rathore wasn't following them. Rushika used to call Aradhana Remo out of affection. I was so afraid and nervous that I asked Remo what we should do now. We decided that Mr Rathor is IG police and we were afraid of him as he may involve or harass our parents. Therefore we decided not to inform our parents or anybody else about the incident. On August 13 we did not go to play. But on August 14 Remo and myself went to play tennis. We played till 6:30 p.m. But when we were leaving, ball picker Mr. Paltu said Mr. Rathore was calling me again. It was then that we decided to inform our parents. Remo narrated the whole incident to my father. After that, I went to Remo's house and told Remo's mother all the details. Now, as much as I hate to say this, incidents of this kind aren't abnormal in India even today. So they certainly weren't abnormal in 1990. 
wealthy men whether they be in politics or in the film industry abused their positions of power for money and sex and they got away with it at unprecedented rates they still do i am yet to meet a woman in my own life who hasn't been inappropriately touched or assaulted so yes this was a horrible incident that i wish would have never happened but remember how i described rishika at the beginning of this episode the three years of crying in her classroom the depression and the possible suicide was all of this reason enough for that condition could this incident have pushed her over the edge that badly if you think this is a case about those few minutes that ruchika spent inside rathor's office where he grabbed her and assaulted her you're wrong that day marked only the beginning of years of harassment and torture not just of ruchika but of everyone she had ever loved when ruchika told her father and aradhana's mother of the incident both the families took it upon themselves to inform the parents of all the other young tennis players in chandigarh whose parents left those kids outside of rathor's house every day none of these kids were safe and who knew what he was capable of if nobody was around to stop him word of ruchika's assault spread within the community like wildfire all these agitated parents gathered to meet at aradhana's house and decided they wouldn't sit quietly they were going to make sure they tried their best to bring ruchika some form of justice and make sure these kids were safe in their own community these parents moved quickly in trying to get in touch with then chief minister hukum singh but they failed to get a meeting with him they then tried to meet with then home minister sampath singh but yet again they failed to get a meeting but finally just two days after the assault on august 7th they met with home secretary jk duggal to whom they narrated the entire incident mr duggal took this matter seriously He narrated the incident to the Home Minister and appointed a senior ranking official DGP RR Singh to investigate the matter. As DGP RR Singh began his investigation into the allegations against Rathor, he soon realized who he was dealing with when he found residents of a slum in Panchkula protesting outside his office. Yes, these people were protesting against the police officer who was investigating the man accused of assaulting a child. That is wild. But these protesters weren't evil people, Aran. They were merely poor people who had allegedly been paid large sums of money by Rathor to stage these protests. And I'm not surprised at all. No, not at all. This seems like the easiest thing to do and most expected of all moves. DGP RR Singh brings Ruchika in to submit an affidavit and eventually... by September 3rd actually finds Rathor guilty of the assault in his report he recommends that an FIR be filed against him the home secretary who had appointed RR Singh to this case reviews the report and recommends departmental action and a charge sheet against Rathor all sounds good up until now right good honest civil servants doing their best to bring justice while all of this was going on Something changed at Ruchika's school Sacred Heart. Just 2 weeks after RR Singh's investigation was completed, Ruchika's father got a call on his phone. We're removing Ruchika from the school for a late payment of her school fees. Don't send her to school anymore, said the school's principal at the time, Sister Sebastian, to Ruchika's father. If it actually was the case that Ruchika hadn't paid her school fee despite reminders, the removal might be justified 
But Rutrika's father came forward to say that that was far from the truth. In the aftermath of the assault, he had gone to pay his daughter's school fee, but the school had simply refused to accept the money. Also, there was no notice given to the Girhotra family reminding them to pay the fee as is normal when a student fails to deposit the money on time. In fact, even the school's brochure of procedure and bylaws mentions how the non-payment of fees can only lead to the school barring a student from sitting for their exams, and it is absolutely not sufficient grounds for expulsion. But Ruchika was kicked out. Many years later, in 2009, an inquiry into the expulsion by the school revealed that at the time when Ruchika was expelled, the school had won 35 cases similar to those of Ruchika, where the school claimed fee hadn't been paid, but Ruchika was the only student out of those 135 to ever be expelled on those grounds. And you want to know something incredibly sad, Aran? One of those late fee submitters out of the 135 students was Rathor's own daughter, Priyanjali. One of Ruchika's classmates and student at Sacred Heart, Gitanjali Gyatri, came forward to say, we had heard that she was going abroad and we thought she had gone abroad after the incident. That's all we knew. This incident changed Ruchika and understandably so. She knew why she was suspended. She was suspended because she was assaulted by a man with power. She knew she was suspended because that man's daughter was her classmate. An already introverted Rushika slowly grew quieter, hardly ever leaving her room and rarely ever seeming happy. But the family did still have hope. R.R. Singh had recommended an FIR, charge sheet and departmental action against Rathor. These recommendations were submitted to Home Minister Sampat Singh, who took the report and did nothing with it. He was supposed to submit the report to the Chief Minister of Haryana, Om Prakash Chautala of the Indian National Lokdal. But even if Om Prakash Chautala did receive the report, Rathor knew he'd be safe. After all, Rathor had always enjoyed strong support and protection from the leader. But things were about to go from bad to worse. Shortly after, another one of Rathor's political buddies, MLA Jagjit Singh Tikka, organized a large group of men to gather outside Ruchika's house to march there, create commotion and to harass and embarrass the family. Eventually, the Chautala governance was replaced by that of Hukam Singh, also from the Janta Dal. And he had standing instructions to make sure nobody and nothing touched Rathor. He needed to be protected. And then it just seemed like the Girhotra family would never be supported by the government of the state they called home. After Hukam Singh, Chautala came to power again. And then the state went into president's rule. Despite that, Ruchika refused to take back her complaint. Her father refused to buckle to the pressure of goons like Rathor. But Rathor didn't stop trying. He placed policemen in plain clothes outside Ruchika's residence to follow and harass her every time she left the house. They would catcall her, pass lewd sexual comments and never leave her alone. Ashwara, I just need to keep reminding myself that she is probably like 12, 13 or 14 years old at this point, right? Now, as bad as all of this is, 
it's a child they are doing it's it. So this child. is not an adult yes. woman no. with whom you have some personal issues because at that point it almost becomes there's a sense of drama involved right there's right. no drama here no this, this is, is a baby this is a kid this yes. is a very very young kid it's about to get worse aryan ruchika wasn't the only child in this situation believe it or not 14 year old aradhana ruchika's best friend who was the only witness to the assault soon began getting abusive phone calls and threatening messages which did not stop until the day she got married and left for australia with her husband forever decades after the day her best friend That's was assaulted unbelievable all of this is already enough to push any 14 year old over the edge 14 forget 14 this is enough to push a 30 That's 40 exactly 50 year old what i'm saying i remember being 14 aryan i'm sure you remember being 14 even the tiniest of oh, problems yeah. or fights are capable of pushing a 14 year old over the edge those problems and those years are probably the hardest of any young adult's life but what she was going through was more than anyone could endure sadly even everything i've told you up until now was only just the beginning Ruchika's father who had been an honest and hard working employee with a spotless record working for the Haryana State Agricultural Board as the chief engineer was suddenly notified that more than 20 police complaints had been registered against him some for defamation some for theft and some for murder within weeks of the assault he was demoted to the rank of superintendent engineer then suspended from his job and then forced into premature retirement random cops would show up sometimes to aradhana's house and sometimes to rushika's house with orders for a raid they would walk into the house ransack the place on false grounds like corruption and then just leave this happened over and over again eventually five cases of theft and murder were even filed against ruchika's 10 year old brother ashu by ambala's superintendent of police kp singh who later gave a statement claiming he knew rathor was innocent kp singh was later promoted to the rank of inspector general of police and placed at the chandigarh head office the inspector general of police of chandigarh one of the most important cities slash sort of under president's rule in some sense yes that's the inspector general is one of the highest police ranks yes if these are the kinds of people that are infiltrating our justice system just imagine this is one example this man accused a 10 year old kid of committing of murder, murder and theft. to protect yes a predator essentially we've brought this up before but this behavior almost made me wonder were there not already enough cases of crime in the country to deal with that they had to engage so heavily with 10 year old children and 14 year old girls i don't understand and I've... it's like what they're trying to cover up is not a murder or a gang or a conspiracy no, they're no. trying to cover up one isolated accusation of assault and it's too much manpower and time going into that so firstly there's an element of cognitive dissonance that right. i don't understand But secondly, this is just unbelievable that this man was promoted to being the inspector general. It's going to get worse, Arya. No matter what you say, the only response I can give to you is I agree this sucks and it's about to get worse. All right, I'm going to stay mum then and just listen. The 14-year-old Aradhana too had 10 civil cases filed against her by Rathore. That makes no sense. And even the journalists who reported on the case weren't spared. 
Rathore filed two complaints against each of the journalists who took an active role in bringing the story and Ruchika's fight to the forefront, each case asking for a compensation of 10 million rupees each. Ruchika's father got the family a lawyer, a lawyer named Pankaj Bharadwaj. They needed every bit of backing they could. Rathor didn't even spare him, slapping him with two court cases too, one for defamation and one for compensation. Now, mind you, none of these court cases would go anywhere. Rathor knew that. Their point wasn't to put these people behind bars or get their money. The point was only and only harassment. This is classic extortion. A hundred percent. He wanted to push the family over the edge and make them take back their complaint, leave town forever and never speak of the incident again or financially drain them till they had nothing left. But again, Rutrika and her father refused. After all, if they did bow down to pressure here, where was the end? That would essentially be a message to the world that men like Rathor can literally do anything, assault you, rape you, harass you, but sorry, there's literally nothing you can do about it. All of this was happening while Rathor was actually promoted by the Om Prakash Chautala government, while Rathor's own daughter, Ruchika's classmate, and Rathor's son went on to graduate school, get degrees in law, and eventually practice with the Haryana High Court and work with Cox and Kings in Mumbai. Rathor's wife Abha was a lawyer too, and she stood by her husband from day one, defending him legally and socially. This one stings. I expect women, especially the mother of a girl the same age as Ruchika, to stand up against crap like this even if it comes from her husband. But if this case shows us anything, is that the world is far from ideal. Remember all of those parents who had come out in support a day after the assault? The ones who had gathered and talked about how they won't sit quietly? Yeah, they all retreated to the confines of their homes, never speaking of this matter again. Nobody visited the Girhotra house. Nobody talked to them. Nobody invited them anywhere. It was not worth it. Justice was too inconvenient to fight for. By 1991, the Rathor favouring state governments had ensured he would live scot-free. On the 28th of May 1991, the charge sheet filed against Rathor in the initial aftermath of the case by R.R. Singh was cleared forever. There now stood no case against Rathor, with 20 cases against Ruchika's father, 5 cases against her 10-year-old brother, 10 against her best friend, 2 against her lawyer and 2 cases against the journalists who brought her story to light. It was now 1992. It had been two full years of constant harassment, social ostracization, and the complete and colossal failure of every mechanism that exists for the protection of the people in this country. The only thing that had happened in all of 1992 was that now 12-year-old Ashu was the centre of the vicious attacks. On April 6, new complaints were lodged against him for allegedly stealing a car, while all of the previous harassment continued just as it was. And now it was 1993. The family's efforts had gone nowhere. Their complaints were unheard. Ruchika's father didn't have a job. 
Ruchika was out of school, never having graduated. Her life as a budding sportswoman who dreamed of making her country proud was shattered, and the country failed her. Everyone she loved was left traumatized and emotionally scarred, all because she didn't wish to be touched by a 50-year-old man with a wife and a daughter without her consent. All because she said she deserved some form of justice for having her autonomy violated. And then in September of 1993 a series of events began that suddenly made the idea of death sound not so horrible to Ruchika. Ashu was now 13. On the 23rd of September he left his house to go to the nearby market to buy some things. Little did he know like a lot of days in the past in the last 3 years He was being followed by senior crime investigation agency officers dressed in plain clothes. A car full of these officers stopped right next to Ashu, picked him up, put him in the car and drove him in their jeep to the CIA staff office in Mansa Devi. It was there that Ashu's torture began at the hands of Sub-Inspector Prem Dutt and Assistant Sub-Inspector Jaina Ryan. Inside the CIA office, the officers tied Ashu's hands behind his back with a rope and tied weights to his feet. Then they made him bend down and stay in that position for hours on end. Eventually, Rathore came to the office and further tortured Ashu. They made him lie down on the floor, took a heavy wooden roller and rolled it on his legs and thighs. with four constables standing on the edges of the roller putting their entire body weight on it after hours of physically torturing him and verbally abusing him and making fun of him they put him in the back of their jeep again and drove him back home inside the house they called ruchika outside to the living room while they made her watch as they beat up her baby brother in front of her eyes As they beat Ashu up, they kept threatening Ruchika, telling her to withdraw her complaint. If she didn't, they said, she and her father would be beaten up and humiliated the same way. But they didn't stop at that. They then handcuffed Ashu's hands, took him out of the house and paraded him around like that in public for the world to see as they continued to ridicule him and laugh at him. Ashu was hurt. humiliated and scarred for life he was just a baby Ashwara you know one thing about me is that you know i have this tendency to believe everyone is inherently a good person yes, you do. and people aren't evil they're a product of their environment this is probably the first time i truly believe that the constables involved in this case right. that don't have anything to do directly with this case right have some sadistic evil instinct in them it's unbelievable what they're doing to a kid man i know exactly what you're saying aryan this is the first case where i have felt that way as well we always usually talk about the mental health problems of the person that yeah. committed a crime this time i don't feel like talking about I, that this is yeah. just unbelievable i don't care and also i'm just thinking thank god we live in 2022 i don't think it could happen in a world of phone technology no, no, where this shit could be recorded right cuz there's no other way to describe it it's shit this shit should have yeah my blood is boiling <laughs> that's how i started this episode it would make your blood boil aryan then again on november 11th of 1993 ashu was picked up he was tortured again 
the last time they let him go the same day this time they didn't they illegally held him inside the cia office where they refused to give him water and food for days at a stretch and kept beating him up they berated him and told him to convince his sister to take back the complaint they also made him sign blank papers which the police then used to show that ashu had confessed to stealing 11 cars In fact, these cops went so far that when they caught some random car thieves from Bihar, they named Ashu as an accomplice to crimes of these middle-aged men this boy had probably never even seen. This time they refused to let Ashu go. It had been a month that he had been gone. It was now December 11, and Ashu was still being tortured every day inside the CIA office. Finally, It was now November 28th. Life as Ruchika knew it was ruined. It was too late, too much had happened. It had been 3 years since the assault, but the torture just wouldn't stop. She could see what her family was going through and she had had enough. It's so sad to think that a part of her probably blamed herself for all of this. So she did it. She picked up the bottle of insecticide kept in her house in the early morning hours of December 28th. She drank it and she killed herself. If you're thinking this would have ended the harassment, you couldn't be more wrong. The evening of Ruchika's death, Rathor threw a party at his residence, the same residence where the assault had begun. A week after her death, any investigations and cases against Rathor were closed. But couldn't there be a very strong case against Rathor for abetment of suicide? There could be. Yes, all of this is the definition of abetment to suicide. But what if those in power suddenly become hell bent on showing that this wasn't a suicide at all, and instead it was an accidental overdose? To prove that, they firstly refused to let Ruchika's father take her body. The official autopsy and viscera by the hospital had clearly ruled the death a suicide by ingesting insecticide, which meant that the police now had to create its own autopsy report, a fake autopsy report. Rathor also told Ruchika's father he'd only let Ashu go if he signed blank sheets of paper and would kill Ashu if he didn't. Ruchika's father did sign the papers. It was all over now anyway. He had one child left and he needed to make sure he was safe. Rathor then used those signed blank sheets to prove that Ruchika's father had accepted the new fake autopsy report the police was about to create. In this new report, they created a story. Ruchika was a young girl suffering debilitating body image issues and so she started consuming some over-the-counter local drug to reduce her weight. On the morning of December 28, she consumed too many of those pills and died of an overdose. I don't even know how many weight loss pills one will have to consume to overdose if there are actually weight loss pills that one can possibly somehow overdose on. That sounds absurd to me on just so many levels. But they got someone very important, someone very close to Ruchika to confirm this story and sign an affidavit. Ruchika's mother. Isn't she dead? You're right. She was dead, Aran. But Rathor and his posse of corrupt officials brought Ruchika's dead mother back to life to sign this fake affidavit. But what's the point of that? Like, it's it, 
how does that corroborate their like if i were to get into their mind and god forbid i ever do but if <laughs> i were to get in their mind and i'm trying to cover up a a batman to suicide case right. why would i bring up a dead witness that isn't that that's a wonderful question case? yes it is and i don't fully understand what was going through these psychotic people's minds i think it's completely stupid to do this because they got caught right so i don't know i don't know why they did it eventually it was obviously revealed that the signature was not of rutika's dead mother but of her nanny from when she was younger who they tried to pass off as her mother Aran they finally released Ashu after not only Ruchika killing herself but also after her last rites and cremation was over Ashu was brought back to his house unconscious he had been stripped naked and beaten up by drunk cops the night before he couldn't walk for weeks after that he had come out of the CIA building to realize his sister was no more and his life would never be the same again Just weeks after Ruchika's death, Rathore was promoted again by Haryana's then Chief Minister Bhajan Lal of the Haryana Janhit Congress. I on purpose make it a point to mention the parties these leaders belong to, no matter what case we cover and no matter what party it is, because it's important. It's important to know the history of the parties that claim to stand for our welfare and govern us. Ruchika's father and brother had had enough now. This fight was for justice for Ruchika but Ruchika was gone and now they wanted to leave too. They left Chandigarh when even after Ruchika's death the torment didn't seem to stop. The Girhotra bungalow the bungalow where Ruchika grew up and was raised in sector 6 of Panchkula was forcibly sold to a lawyer working for Rathore. Ruchika's father had managed to get a bank job as a manager by 1992 but after she killed herself he was suspended from his job as the bank manager on charges of alleged corruption. They moved to the outskirts of Simla where Ruchika's father took up an earth filling job which is basically just moving soil from an unsuitable location to a more suitable one. But you know who stayed back in Chandigarh and continued to fight for Ruchika? Aradhna and her parents. No way. Remember that first report drafted by RR Singh, the one that said that an FIR should be filed against Rathore and that he was guilty? Aradhna's father went on a hunt for that report after the Girhotras left Chandigarh. And finally Aradhna's father found it in 1997. Sure I'm not going to lamb kind of tearing up right now. I know such incredible people they were probably the only ones that stood up for the family but they did it for so many years. By November of that year he took that report and moved the case against Rathore to the Haryana High Court and then finally in a break to the case in 1998 the Haryana High Court ordered the CBI to conduct an inquiry. While all of this was happening, in 1999, Om Prakash Chautala of the Indian National Lokdal, now Chief Minister for the fifth time, again promoted Rathore, making him the police chief of the state. The same state government even recommended his name for the president's police medal for distinguished service in November 1999. That's disgusting. It's a disgrace. It's perverse. It's disgusting. But Aryan by this time the fact that Rathore was involved in this case was a well-known fact across the country. 
which is when Shanta Kumar, who was then vice president of the BJP in 2000, wrote a letter to Om Prakash Chautala urging him to take strict action against Rathore in the case. And do you know what Chautala did? He went crying and running and complaining to then Prime Minister Atal Bihari Vajpayee about it, who then berated Shanta Kumar about it. So you're telling me the Prime Minister of India at that time, instead of taking action against Chautala, who is empowering this predator, took action against somebody from his own party just for this case to be hush-hush because of political value, I'm guessing. Yes, so the two parties were in alliance at the time and Atal Bihari Vajpayee didn't necessarily want Shanta Kumar to bring up this issue and upset an opposition party, a party that they were in an alliance with, um, and so told him to kind of keep his emotions in check and not necessarily rile up this case so many years later. This is all traced back to one incident of sexual misconduct. Of a 14-year-old girl by a man who should have been fired and it would have ended there and been put behind bars and it would have ended there. But it got dragged and dragged Dragged and and dragged. dragged. Now, the CBI investigation was well underway. The High Court had ordered the investigation to be wrapped up in six months. But the CBI took more than a year. Then finally, on 16th November 2000, Seven years after Ruchika's death, the CBI filed a charge sheet against Rathore, where he wasn't accused of abetment to suicide, but only of violating Section 354, which is molestation. But despite the charge sheet, under the Chautala government, Rathore continued to be the police chief of the state. Aradhana's father fought to have abetment to suicide be included in the list of offences Rathore was being accused of. And in a move nobody saw coming, special CBI judge Jagdev Singh Dhanjal demanded that the offence be added. Let's go. But you know what happened to this judge, Aran? He was forced into premature retirement two years later in the middle of the ongoing case. Yeah. But even this CBI investigation and court case was a colossal mess and a huge injustice. If you think the CBI was going to come in and suddenly fix the family's problems and everything that had gone wrong with Ruchika, you're wrong. They were only going to ruin the family's one and possibly last shot at justice. One of the justices on the CBI court refused to let Rathore be accused of abetment to suicide. Guess what? This justice was a neighbour of the Girhotras and involved in a property dispute with them. This was a conflict of interest of the highest magnitude. This justice was also a close relative of the secretary of the Haryana Lawn Tennis Association, of which Rathore was the founding member. This justice is now the president of the Haryana State Consumer Disputes Redressal Commission. What is even crazier is that after filing the charge sheet in 2000, the CBI took seven years to record evidence from just 16 witnesses. Compare that to the Defence Council, which took nine months to complete the examination of 13 out of those 16. And Rathore wasn't going to give up just yet. He began to use his influence to shift and alter the way CBI was conducting the investigation. He began regularly visiting the office of the CBI Joint Director at the time, even bribing him with money to help build his new Gurgaon house. When his influence didn't get him what he wanted, he began to delay the trial, filing applications to transfer the case to different jurisdictions. 
Ruchikas is one of the rare few cases in Indian history which was heard in three different states Haryana, Punjab, and Chandigarh, apart from being heard in the Supreme Court and the High Court as well. And the CBI just let him get away with these applications and shifting jurisdictions. He also began to come up with absurd technical demands, like wanting the trial to be videographed. And then in court during trial, Rathor claimed that all of these delays, all of which he had caused, meant he should get a shorter sentence. And then finally, on the 21st of December, both sides closed their arguments and the case finally had a verdict. Rathor was sentenced to six months in prison with a thousand rupee fine. That's less, right? By the standard of everything that's happened in this case, six months is nothing. If you agree with me on that, I'm sure you'd agree that if six months is nothing, ten minutes is nothing as well. Because ten minutes is exactly how long Rathor actually spent in jail. Ten minutes in, he was granted bail for ten thousand rupees. The most severe consequence that Rathor faced for his crimes was that his presidential medal was taken back by a committee and that he was stabbed outside the court by a man from Varanasi. We began this case with some suspense. Was this a suicide or a murder? I leave this question open to you. The autopsy's result was decisive. It was a suicide. She killed herself. But from where I'm standing, she was dragged to death by absolutely everyone around her. From where I'm standing, this is the most blatant case of murder we've ever covered. 